Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Back at it on a Monday. Welcome in. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Ken off today, so it is a solo edition. But don't worry, you don't have to just listen to me drawn on and on. We got plenty of good people lined up here for you today on the BMW of Des Moines guest list. Coming up at 1025, a deep dive into the Iowa Hawkeyes after another victory for Iowa, making it two in a row as they whitewash the Gophers 35-7 on Friday night. Scott Docterman from The Athletic will be here in his normal Monday spot. It was a Masters weekend. A little bit weird, wasn't it? it of course, November, but also... The timing of it, the way that it played out, Dustin Johnson running away and for all intents and purposes hiding. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. The septuple bogey from Tiger yesterday and deeper and looking forward to the Masters, hopefully back in April of 2021. We'll do that with Matt Rudy coming up from Golf Digest. He'll join me today at 1045. 11 o'clock hour will begin with a recap of everything that we saw in college football. Bama Bob will be here to talk about that to kick off hour two, and then we'll finish it up with Dave Sproul from KASI 1430 in Ames. A look at Iowa State as they prepare for Farmageddon this week. Kansas State on the docket as the Wildcats will come to town. A Kansas State team that has been incredibly inconsistent throughout the year. Look really good at times. The comeback against Oklahoma. And there's times you're left scratching your head. We know about the series history. We know how dominant Kansas State has been historically against Iowa State, including just some absolutely devastating losses. Is this a year they get off the schneid? They won it two years ago in comeback fashion, did the Cyclones, and now another opportunity to stay alone in first place in the Big 12. Yes, it's the middle of November, and we're talking about Iowa State alone in first place in the Big 12. What a time to be alive. He'll complete the guest list today at 11.30. We'll wrap it up, Mr. Monday Night. He's got a pick for you. He has now brought you winners in five of the nine Monday Night Football Weeks, and he'll look to make it six of ten Bears-Vikings tonight. And a few props Mr. Monday Night is going to be playing with. That's coming your way here at the end of the program at about 11.50. That's the lineup on the BMW Des Moines guest list. But let's kick things off. we got NFL to get into. We have Iowa-Minnesota to talk about. A little bit of Masters and well, a little bit in between. We'll get into all of it here today. You can also join me, as always, 515-284-5966. The phone number to dial up, 284-5966, to get involved here. Your thoughts on what you saw and what was a pretty fun sports weekend. Well, let's start with going back to Friday night. Of course, I was watching the game while calling a game as we had high school football We'll get into that as well today in the Dowling end of the run. Seven consecutive state championships, unprecedented at any class. They do it in the biggest school class and a tip of the ball cap to those young men. They played outstanding in the first half. Ankeny just made one more play. And apropos of this season and what we've seen, that Arlen Bruce, a transfer from Kansas City, is the guy that makes the play to end the ball game, the interception in the end zone that sends Ankeny to the state championship. Wonderful ball game, so much fun. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Thanks to our sponsors. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But as that game was going on, yes, had the laptop up, had the Iowa Minnesota game, but did see a ton of it. 
But what I was able to do, see some plays here and there, but most importantly, going back, listening to sound off on my drive home from Cedar Falls, listening to Ross and Travis, along with Sean, and, and hearing some, some comments that really triggered my thinking. Or what, what this is going to look like as I got home 1245 and then watched the game and fast forward and watched it in complete fashion last night. But it's so interesting watching a game in that aspect and just the differences that you can come to, some conclusions that maybe you make without actually seeing it, and then going back and seeing it and drawing your own conclusions from that. So this is an Iowa game. I haven't had anything like this. On the football side of things, basketball from time to time, I'll be calling a high school game on a Tuesday. Hawkeyes are playing, Cyclones are playing, and and I'll watch it. But this is different. This is football. This is a a three-and-a-half-hour excursion that you're really looking to break down and trying to figure out. And going back and watching the game, because it ends 35-7, a lot of good feelings. The end of the game situation, Kirk calling the timeouts and say, oh, we figure we take Floyd with us and, and leave the timeouts. A great line. What that means. But as I watch the game in replay and completion, not just to play here or there, but watching the whole thing, I walked away unimpressed. How can you say that? You went on the road, you win a game 35-7, you're up 35 nothing, but... Unimpressed in this fashion. Iowa was able to run the football. Anybody at the collegiate level can run the football against Minnesota. This is an atrocious defense. We talked last week, that linebacker crew is rated as poorly by pro football focus as any group in all college football. They have guys on there that have numbers that I've never seen before. But this is a game where you control the line of scrimmage. You run the football whatever you want, and you would think that is going to set yourself up to make plays in the passing game. And outside of a crossing route to Tyrone Tracy, outside of a nice throw to Sean Beyer, who had maybe his best game as a Hawkeye, outside of that, it wasn't good. This is a team, for all intents and purposes, that is out of the race to win the Big Ten West. There were thoughts with all the talent returning at the skill positions, a lot of talented offensive line, and a defense you always know is going to be at the very least solid with Phil Parker manning the controls, that they were going to be in contention and have a chance. That's off the table. Two games in, that was off the table. The losses to Northwestern and the losses to Purdue. You can still have a great season. You look at the Penn State game coming up this week. Coming into the season, preseason top 10 team, you're going on the road. Penn State's had your number lately. Doesn't look very winnable. Well, that's a more winnable game now. In fact, I was a favorite in that football game. But back to the point at hand. Spencer Petrus. It appears Iowa has a quarterback problem. Is this the guy you believe is going to lead this program for the next three years? He is a sophomore. That this is a guy that is going to get you over that hump. Game one, chalk it up. Mistakes, and really the two mistakes, came from the running backs. Fumbling the ball away against Purdue. A very winnable game, and one you'd love to have back right now. Northwestern, it's a terrible game plan. That one is on Brian Ferentz. That loss, you point to him first before anything. But the one constant through all this, even in the blowout against Michigan State, even in a blowout against Minnesota, is Spencer Petrus has not been good. And he's not been good enough to take that next step. Over the last five years, this is the best five-year run in terms of wins. Now, also remember, they're playing 12 games, something that didn't happen until the mid-2000s when that became a permanent part of the schedule. So you throw that in there, too. 
But this has been a very nice sustained run. But what do you have to show for it? No Big Ten title, one division title, one win against Wisconsin. And even as you're beating your rivals, you're beating Minnesota. Make it six straight. You beat Nebraska five in a row. Six in a row against Illinois. But you still lost four in a row against Wisconsin, seven of eight, and that is the hump you ultimately have not been able to get to. Because that's what you're playing for. You're playing to get your shot against Ohio State, against Penn State. You're looking to get there, get to that championship game, and win your first Big Ten title since 2004. That is ultimately what you're going for. It's a nice, solid program. But to take that final step, to reach those heights again that you've been in the past, I don't think Spencer Petras is the answer. He continues to be too revved up. The crossing routes are uncatchable. Somebody was mentioning his throwing motion and brought this up a couple of weeks ago. His throwing motion, because of that long, elongated throwing motion that he has, he is more susceptible to overthrows. And we've seen that consistently. Big time in the Northwestern game, and you saw it again on Friday night. 9 of 18, and a team that was charged up to try to stop the run. They weren't able to stop the run because Minnesota's brutal. 111 yards, a touchdown, and just an atrocious pick. Just brutal. That's what you get out of the guy. He was the guy coming into the year. I don't remember in the 22 years of Kirk Ferentz, any quarterback without any kind of resume having this kind of buildup leading into a season. He's our guy. There was no competition. Padilla didn't get a shot. The true freshman, Deuce Hogan, didn't get a shot. And that's okay. If you think you have your guy, you want to give the most reps possible in a weird offseason something that's nobody's seen before, you want to be able to give as many reps as possible to that guy. But when do you pull the trigger? And when do you say, let's get a look at the other guy? Padilla's a guy that's a much more athletic quarterback. He can run around and make some plays. Throwing a better ball in the limited time that we've seen him. Played a ton, just hand the ball off in the fourth quarter against Minnesota. But when's the time? Is it when you're down? Because it doesn't look like this guy can lead Iowa to a Big Ten championship. Unless there is immense improvement from Spencer Petras. He's not the guy to beat Wisconsin. He's not the guy in a normal season to take you to 10-2 and and give you a shot. It's just a reality. Deuce Hogan, I know. People love the guy. He's got personality. He's got flair. Likes to talk. Likes the jaw a little bit. Remember, he's coming from small-class Texas football. Still Texas football, but is he ready? I don't think so. Is Padilla the guy? Not sure. But what I see now, even after two blowout victories against Michigan State and Minnesota, I don't think he's the guy that can take them to the highest of heights. Can he be solid? Sure. Can he be good enough with this running game? Absolutely. But if you're talking about those heights, which aren't going to happen in 2020, but if you're looking at 21 and 22, is he that guy? Not what we've seen the first month of the Iowa football season. Mentioned at the top, the end of the game, and some may say the petty timeouts used by Kirk Ferentz at the end of the ball game. This is very simple. This goes back to something we talked about with Tom Caker from Hawkeye Report on Friday. Phil Fleck and Kirk Ferentz could not be wired more differently in their demeanor. How they get to the end result. Two guys that have been successful. That Western Michigan program 
that Phil Fleck took over was atrocious. As bad as you're going to find in the MAC. He took them from no wins to 12 and 0. That's impressive. The dude can coach. It's not just all the stupid cliches. It's not just about the window dressing. Row the boat, blah, 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 blah. Everything's elite. That's not what it is. Guys sprinting up and down the sidelines at the end of quarters. That's the show. Him being the leader coming out of the locker room. That's the show. But there is substance behind it. The guy got Minnesota into the top five in the country a year ago before they lost another one to Iowa. The guy has won games at Minnesota. He's got them to a level. And most importantly, he can get guys there. Now, Keith being them there, as we continue to see defections inside that program, it's a different conversation, but the dude has that kind of background. This is not Tim Brewster. This is not a guy that says a lot of things and actually can't back it up. He's backed it up. I don't like him. I don't like the shtick. But it works. Credit to him for that. Not this year but what he has done to build that program up. Kirk Ferentz is old school. And we've had the conversations old school and the evolution of Kirk. Kirk 2.0, 3.0, what are we on, 4, 5.0 now? We've seen him evolve. Maybe not as quickly as people want to see, but the ultimate tenet and backbone of Kirk Ferentz is old school football. He doesn't like all the pomp and circumstance. He doesn't like that part of it. And I think the recruiting side, more than anything, is what's bothered. You wonder, has there been negative recruiting happening? Have there been phone calls from Fleck and his staff to guys that have been committed to Iowa in the past? We told the story last week of Amir Smith-Marset. Remember, he was committed to Minnesota. He was committed to Minnesota, as the story goes, from Amir Smith-Marset, because Phil Fleck locked him in a room in his office and said, until we get an answer, you're not getting on a plane back to New Jersey. What's a kid going to do? You're 17 years old. Oh, sure, coach. Yeah, I'll, I'll commit. Let me get home. What a weirdo. That's Phil Fleck. That's how he gets it done on the recruiting trail. Those kind of tricks, if you will. It didn't work for Smith-Marset, but I'm sure there's been a lot of bad feelings. And if you had your choice of the 14 coaches in the Big Ten, the 13 others and staffs, who would be the one that you would guess is using this, trying to use this, what happened this summer with Iowa? The age of Kirk Ferentz, who would be the one that would point to that the most? Look, Ohio State doesn't have to do that. Penn State doesn't have to. Even Michigan. Those programs, they recruit in different waters than Iowa. Wisconsin? I don't see that coming from Paul Christ and company. Is it hinted at? I'm sure every program hints at it. But who takes it to the next level? Minnesota. I don't think there is a doubt in the world that that's what Minnesota does. And this has been going on now for years. This is the coaching staff that does not like each other. Two staffs that do things in different ways. That's where the timeouts come from. That's where the pettiness came from. There was a reason for it. And you saw that play out. One more thing on Kirk. Credit to the dude. Because Ken and I came in here the Monday after the Purdue game. And then the following week against Northwestern. And it felt like it was the beginning of the end. It felt like this program was trending in the wrong direction. You had a Michigan State team coming in off a win against Michigan. You thought, boy, where are the wins going to come from? But to be able to pull yourself up, and this is a credit to the way that this program is built. The mantra, one week at a time, turning the page after a week. How can you do that? When you're doing what we do, when you do what you as fans do, that's difficult. 
It's incredibly difficult to pull off and do that on a week-to-week basis the way that they do. Just turn the page. But for these guys to continue to buy in, seasons can be lost. We're seeing that happen right now in State College. They're 0-4. Yes, they've had opt-outs. They've had a quarterback change now. They've had all kinds of things that have popped up at Penn State, but dot, dot, dot. For this to play out in this fashion, for this to head this route, with Kirk Ferentz at the helm, with everything that was surrounding it, it would have been incredibly easy for this team at 0-2 to pack it. Just say, you know what, it's not going to work. Guys opt out, so you're going to play the games, but you're not really dialed in. This team's dialed in. And that goes to the top guy. And that shows you the respect and the way this program has been built. For the things that they should have done differently, absolutely. The firing of Doyle says just that. But big credit to Kirk. Tough to do. Tough to do in this environment, as we're seeing across college football, some different programs, that it's not going at that point. That's what we have. And a tip of the ball cap there. Defensively, Zach Van Valkenburg is your Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Three sacks, five tackles in the game. Jack Heflin, who I thought was playing his best game in a Hawkeye uniform, he was banged up. We'll see about his availability when Kirk meets with the media later on. Jack Campbell, have him in the notes. Jack Campbell, that dude's going to be an absolute star. Ton of buzz about him going back to the lead-up to the season. Then got sick. What was it? Mono, it sounded like, that he had. Got sick, wasn't available the first couple of weeks. Dude can run, he can make plays. I saw this guy play on the high school field. He was the best player defensively I had seen since Pat Angerer at Bettendorf on a high school field. He was playing at that kind of level. I said, I didn't know where it was going to be. I didn't know if he was a bulk-up defensive end. They kept him at middle linebacker. You can see why they've been excited about him. And that linebacker group, Jay Higgins came in late in the game, thought he played really well. Justin Jenkins, linebacker, they're fine. They're in good spe- in really good shape when they only play two. And now you got to wonder, yeah, the cash position, is that full-time? you got so many good linebackers. What do you do? And maybe this is a time where you look at the defensive end position. Van Volkenberg was great. Chauncey Golson continues to play his standard solid self. But when you look forward, looking for some speed on the outside, maybe one of these linebackers is a guy when you're looking to the future. Bulk them up a little bit more. Become a speed rusher off the edge because it's an embarrassment of riches. Seth Benson has played at a high level. Neiman is right there. Remember with this free year, too, you're talking about guys that are going to be playing even more football, possibly, if they want to at the collegiate level. It's a good problem to have. 35-7, the final. Iowa gets the win. Penn State this week, 2.30 kickoff on BTN. Iowa now a two-and-a-half point favorite in this one. Could have got Iowa more than a touchdown. Before the season at Elite Sportsbook, now the Hawkeyes are the favorite against the 0-4 Nittany Lions. Iowa State, they'll be playing at 3 o'clock on Big Fox against K-State. Talked about that game. ISU opened as a 10-point favorite at Circus Sports. Consensus, Vegas, uh, there's no consensus right now. That thing's all over the place. Seen a 9.5, couple of 11.5s have popped up, but Iowa State a big favorite. We'll get into that a whole lot going forward. More college football with Bama Bob. We'll talk about that 0-4 Penn State team. Nebraska finally getting off the schneid with the victory 30-23. 
Michigan. Where do they go next with Harbaugh and that program looking absolutely lost? Northwestern in control of the Big Ten West with their win against Purdue. West Virginia, nice win for them over TCU. Notre Dame getting it done. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more coming up with Bama Bob. We'll also get into the NFL, Monday Night Football tonight. Vikings-Bears, Mr. Monday Night with his pick. Packers with the victory as they hold off Jacksonville 24-20. And as I mentioned, the Masters. Wasn't it difficult? It was for me. I love golf. I'm a big golf fan. To me, there's little better on a lazy summer afternoon, flipping on golf, and maybe nodding in and out every once in a while. Get a power nap, wake back up, and watch the last back nine of a tournament with a bunch of guys involved. And maybe that doesn't make me as big of a golf fan if I'm not up, but you get what I say. Just a great, nice summer afternoon. And the Masters... It's the beginning of spring. You're coming off the Final Four. My favorite event of the year, March Madness. You get to the Final Four. You see that right into the Masters. It is a perfect week of sports. Baseball is beginning. Love that time of year. And it didn't feel shoehorned in. Maybe it was just Dustin Johnson. Because when I flipped it on a couple of times on Saturday, he was starting to make his run. He made it early on Saturday and then just controlled. So maybe that had something to do with it. It's just difficult to get into. At least for me. TV numbers were down as anticipated. Going up against football. It's fall. It's not that normal right of spring that we're used to. Shouldn't come as a surprise. We'll talk more with Matt Rudy coming up here at 1045. But next, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic is going to join us. Before that, though, let's try to get somebody $1,000 right now. All right? One grand. That's what we're working to do here at iHeart. Text the keyword CHECK to 200 200, 200, excuse me. It's your chance to win $1,000. That is check to 200, 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Easy as that. Text check to 200, 200. Your chance to win the $1,000 from iHeart. We're going to come back on the other side. More Hawkeye talk. Scott Docterman joins us from The Athletic. A solo edition. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.5. Like family. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon continues, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Trent Condon here, solo edition today. But we got lots of great guests here to fill us in on what's happening across the world of sports, including our Monday regular Iowa with a 35-7 win on Friday night against Minnesota. As we talked about basically the whole first segment, let's get into it more with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, good to talk to you again here on a Monday. How are you? You know what? I'm not doing too bad. I hope things are going well for you and yours. Trying to make it through. It's been uh, just a wild time uh, throughout all of this, but but here we are, and the you know, more things change, the more they stay the same. It felt like 0-2. All right, throw dirt on this program. What happened this summer? going to be very easy. I know Michigan State and Minnesota are not very good football teams here, but to me, Doc, this is something you got to give a ton of credit to Kirk Ferentz as we're seeing what's happening at Michigan and a team that has quit. Penn State, 
who sits at 0-4. It would have been very easy for this Iowa team to do the same. They've come out. They've played incredibly well the last two weeks. They've got a couple of great victories. The defense is playing outstanding. There's a lot to be said, Kirk Ferentz being ahead of that and being able to do that with this team. Absolutely, and I think uh, I, today I came out with my midseason grades on different aspects of the team, and I, I gave coaching slash intangibles a B, but I really think it could go up from there. The reason why it's a B is that, is that they're two and two. But, mm-hmm. yes, as you mentioned, there are so many issues connected to this program, not just uh, traditional COVID issues that the teams are dealing with, but as you mentioned, during the summer, the, the situation involving the racial bias investigation, a new lawsuit was filed. Um, you know, you have other donors who are angry because the the team is taking knees that during the Star Spangled Banner. You have all of those factors that are kind of at a vortex, and yet he's been able to steer his team away from two disappointing losses that could collapse this season. The what you know, same thing that's happened to Michigan, to Penn State, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, Minnesota, and instead Iowa is surging. Iowa's playing better. Uh, really, uh, out, outside of one aspect of the team, I mean, I really think this is a, a one of the better teams in the Big Ten. So I, I think you've got to give a ton of credit to him, the coaching staff, and the players for buying in because it would have been very easy, especially I think we talked the day after Amir Smith Marset was arrested for OWI, yeah. that it felt like, oh boy, here we go. This is this is they're circling the drain. But instead, they went the other direction, which is uh, you know again. You got to give credit to everybody who's involved in that. Yeah, I don't know how deep we are. What is this, Kirk? Four point oh, five point one oh, whatever it is. But it's yet another aspect. Going back to, they lose that game out of Penn State. Looked awful. They got a top three Michigan team coming in, and they pulled that shocker. And just time after time, this program, Kirk Ferentz is able to pull them off the mat when it looks like it's impossible to happen. But you mentioned. There is one aspect of this team that is still a huge question mark, and it's the biggest in football, the quarterback position. I was able to run the ball incredibly well against Minnesota. No surprise. I think you, I, and nine other guys will be able to run the ball at least decently against that gopher front. But Petrus, 111 yards, 9 of 18, a really bad interception. My question is, they're good enough to get through this year, say be 5-3, and three, you know, a nice solid season, but for the future, if this guy is your starter for two more years, if there isn't a whole lot of progression, this is not the guy that's going to lead them to a division championship. This doesn't look to be the guy that can get them to those heights they haven't seen in a while. Your thoughts on Petrus overall? Yeah, I think right now it's, it's a, kind of disappointing. I mean, I gave, I don't usually do this, but I gave the passing game a D plus. And when you look at it, it, it is quarterback. And I don't want to climb all over a young kid starting but you know four games into the season we haven't seen a lot of progression and it it is kind of you know the one thing that gives me pause is it's comparable the way ricky stanley started his career at iowa Mm. he was he didn't become better until his you know second and even third year uh so it you know but he did show some growth at key moments and we haven't really seen that out of spencer petrus yet i think the accuracy issues are a question mark i think some of the decision making locking in uh you know, and I thought deep ball was going to be his, his prime source of, of chunk yards, and that's not happened. You know, I don't know what the next step is for Iowa. I mean, they're going to be patient. They don't have a lot of experience behind him right now. I don't know if that if right now they're going, you know, you know, Padilla's played now two weeks in a row in garbage time. Is there, you know, some thought to, well, let's give him snaps and practice with the ones a little more than before and 
see what he could do or or just kind of leave it alone this year. But but I do agree with you wholeheartedly that even if you see growth from Spencer Petras over the last five games, counting that crossover challenge, whatever bowl game they go to, even if you see that growth in day one in January for winter workouts, you need to open that up and make it a complete and full competition because, uh, you know, you've got Deuce Hogan, who's there. He's a good quarterback, young quarterback, Alex Padilla. You know, they're coming from Colorado and Texas. They deserve a chance to compete, especially if the incumbent hasn't really proven that he is uh, an upper-level quarterback of the Big Ten. We saw four quarterbacks get benched this weekend, and I would say, you know, Petrus has probably played at their level or below. Uh, in fact, in efficiency, he's below three of the quarterbacks that got benched. Wow, good stuff there from Scott Dockerman and a, a good look at the numbers. You know, Hogan comes in, he was he's a fun personality. He's a guy that I think got a lot of people on his side just because of the videos his, he did, his commitment video. And Padilla's a guy that can run around. He can make some plays with his legs. So at the very least, Padilla, I think, would be a different kind of element. We'll see. You know, if, if the offense is going sideways and they're struggling at Penn State, how quick that hook's going to be. But what we're seeing right now, uh, they're going to have to be better at that position. Anything else concerning you right now? It's kind of crazy. The, the punting game is elite to steal a phrase from Phil Flack. The defense is playing at an incredibly high level. They can run the football. Offensive line's there. The skill that we talked about at the tight end and wide receiver position is showing up there. Is it the kicking game and the preseason All-American Keith Duncan maybe the second biggest question right now on this team? No. (laughs) I don't have any questions about him. I think he'll come through. It's it's really fascinating because, you know, you, as you're kind of going through that, are just, trying to search for something to be concerned about yeah. and really there really isn't anything uh the offensive line is playing as cohesive of a level that i haven't seen not in really 10 plus years yeah. and that's that's very impressive they have the running back that can make things happen and, and if you remember right and this is going to be probably a good storyline say in, in september of next year but i mean iowa was you know really interested in in both uh Goodson and Brees Hall, and uh, ended up going with Goodson, and and maybe that's uh, mutually beneficial for everyone involved. But still, that's a uh, you know that's going to be a storyline. I, I would say you know collectively, the passing game has not come to fruition the way it should. And is that the receivers a little bit? I mean, I do think tight end has regressed over the last couple of weeks. Um, I but I just I really think that in order for them to take that step forward. And uh, no matter what happens at the end of the season, but in order to take a step forward, he, you know, Petrus has to start connected with his playmakers, and that's Brandon Smith, who had zero targets the other day, and Amir Smith-Marset. Um, you've got to get them involved. And I know the safety outlets right now are, are Nico Regani and, uh, and, um, and Sam Laporta. That needs to stop. You need to get your guys who can, who can make plays, we've seen make plays for three years, get them the ball. And that's that's going to be the challenge, I think, for the offensive staff going forward and definitely Spencer Peter. All right, Doc, let's uh, look ahead a little bit here on a Monday. Iowa now a two-and-a-half or three-point favorite, depending on where you're looking as I look at it in Vegas right now at Penn State. This is a preseason top-ten team, and I know they've had injuries. I know they've had opt-outs, but still, 0-4 Penn State. To go from the top-ten to this, what a head-scratcher. Yeah, it is, and this is kind of what happens to the NFL more than it does in college football yeah. because teams like Iowa or, or Penn State tend to play early games against teams to kind of build up to the the, the league structure. And 
and they didn't have that. Both of them jumped to the deep end, and Iowa lost two winnable games right off the bat because they had a lot of kind of issues they needed to come together, and they certainly have. And then Penn State losing by an inch at against uh, Indiana, going and, and losing to Ohio State. All their hopes were shattered at that point. And then they played terribly against Maryland, a motivated opponent. And then Nebraska was in the same situation they were, and it was uh, you know, kind of a back-and-forth game. I will say this. You know, Penn State uh, has turned up a lot of yards. Uh, they, they've outgained you know, their opponents. Uh, certainly Indiana and, uh, and, and Nebraska they have by quite a bit. So they're capable of doing some things. They do have good talent. This is not a team to sleep on, but you've got to question the motivation right now at 0-4 with hopes of going to the playoffs. It's not even winning the division. Um, you got to question that motivation, whereas you know where Iowa's motivation is. And after losing six straight to Penn State, I think you understand that they really want this game and want it badly. And 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 they're very and they, they should be the favorite. They are the better team as of right this very minute. Is this the most important game to Kirk Ferentz, him individually? And he would never say as much, but because of his connections, because of growing up in Pennsylvania, is it the Penn State game for him? Eh, that's that's a great question, and I don't know that I could answer that, and I don't know that he would ever answer that. <laughs> I think know. it's very important. Uh, you know, is is I think his, his brother-in-law played there, his uh-huh. wife's brother. Um, so there's there's a lot of connections there, but I think being in Iowa for 30 plus of his years is pretty much his entire adulthood. Uh, I would say that the border teams carry a little bit more um, importance for him. Wisconsin is the team that he thinks is the most important to beat. He has told me that. Uh, and then of course the other night, you know, the, the historical rivalry with Minnesota and uh, kind of some of the showdowns he's had with PJ Fleck on the field, and then, of course in recruiting living rooms. Uh, that came up again, so it's nice to see some feistiness between Iowa and Minnesota. It just is never going to leave the scene. All right, Doc, uh, finishing up here, one final look back at the Minnesota game, and it's what happened at the end of the game. I had a caller uh, called in during the break, and I thought brought up a really good point that I didn't even get to. And speaking about old-school football, that's Kirk Ferentz, and when he put in the reserves, the other team kind of also does the same. It's... A gentleman's agreement, and Phil Fleck, not exactly a gentleman there. The three timeouts at the end of the ball game from Kirk, your takeaway. I love it. I think it's great. I mean, you know, yeah, as you mentioned, I, I know I'm not so I'm not saying that they shouldn't have kept in the offensive line for Minnesota uh, or something like that. But when you've got two elite skill position players, and and Rashad Bateman and and Bo Ibrahim. You got to get them out of a game like that. What happens if they sprain an ankle or you know just something stupid at the end of a game for for what for nothing? Uh, and so I think that probably irritated everybody. And then he got all the way down to the four yard line, and then Minnesota calls a timeout with 19 seconds left. So at that point, you know you can almost read his lips through his uh, mask, and you know are you kidding me? And maybe <laughs> add in a couple of words there, and uh, and then. So it's like, okay, you're going to do this, then we're going to do this. And so that's why they called the timeout. And, uh, you know, I, I think he delivered one of the great lines of the season, you know, by saying, you know, we're going to we're gonna leave the timeouts here and take Floyd with us. And I think that's uh, – it shows that there is some, you know, feistiness between the programs. I love it. I don't think – I think that's part of college football. You want to call it petty or you want to say, you know, it's unsportsmanlike. I think that's going too far. But you know what? This is – this is a culmination of a lot of different things. And, and to blame Kirk Ferentz for it, you're going to have to say, well, why did he do it? And then, oh, by the way, this team against 
several true freshmen on the field decided to keep NFL talent on there when they're down 35 to nothing in the final minute. I think, you know what, you know, teach them a lesson and, um, you know, keep them at bay. Six straight for Iowa over Minnesota. Final thing for you, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Look forward to college basketball season. And this morning, the NCAA released that the big dance is going to be located around Indianapolis. All 68 teams descending to Indianapolis, a a bubble, if you will, with everything going on in the world right now, being very proactive, a good thing to see from the NCAA, and I guess brings hope that maybe they can pull this thing off because financially they have to pull this thing off. Yeah, this is a must for every single athletic department. It's probably less so when it comes to uh, you know the the Big Ten, Big Twelve, but still very very important, especially in light of what happened last year. Everybody wants to get this thing done. You know, Mike. What my question is right now, when we're seeing this humongous spike in COVID numbers, is would it be wait to to push the season back a little bit? Uh, you know, and I think that's probably what many of us may be looking at. But I do think right now we're, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a good move to, to just to go ahead and, and push this back. So um, hopefully we can get these games in. Um, and uh, you know, I know Iowa fans definitely want that and need that because you know this is the type of year where you can really. You know, this is a this is a memory making year, and that's potential for Iowa. So I think we should, uh, you know, hopefully they can get that in. And uh, yeah, already kind of looking forward in the places that are going to be losing their games or their regionals this year, and I'm sure the NCAA is going to pick a lot of them up in the back end. Feel bad for those cities and what they're going to have, but we just don't even know what it's going to look like. Even with more good news on another vaccine coming out today, read the article in the New York Times this morning about that. It's a long, long ways in the availability of that by the time we get to spring. Doc, we got a lot of basketball, but plenty of football in the 2-2 two and two Hawkeyes get ready for Penn State this week. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on a Monday. All right, thanks for having me, Trent. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. You can find his grades to the season halfway through at The Athletic, worth the price of the subscription. Not just the Hawkeyes, basically any team that you follow, they got somebody for you on the professional level. Great writers over there. It is a wonderful, wonderful place to go for great sports running, The Athletic and Scott Dockerman. We'll come back, put a cap on our number one with a little Masters talk. Did you watch it? How much did you watch? I didn't have nearly as much as I anticipated. We'll talk to Matt Rudy from the Golf Digest. Our golf guy joins us next. Miller and Cotton taking you up until noon today on a Monday. Or to learn more. Welcome back. Miller and Cotton continues taking you till noon today. Masters, DJ gets his green jacket. Dustin Johnson with the win as he ran away from the field and hid. Joining us right now to talk about that and a whole lot more in the world of golf, he is Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. Matt, good to catch up with you again. We talked about it last week when you joined us before the tournament, and here we are. Boy, did it feel weird having the Masters in November. Welcome in. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, November was weird, and... It was weird to watch Bryson DeChambeau hit it all over the planet, and it was weird to see Augusta National look a little shabby. There, were, there was a lot of weird, but I think the best player in golf in 2020 won the tournament. That's the, that sort of uh, set the earth back on its axis. It is, and Dustin Johnson, the start on Saturday, and I didn't get into it nearly as much as I anticipated. I got into a lot of pools, ultimately lost a lot of money, but... <laughs> I, I just I didn't watch nearly as much. Now, 
is different for you. That this is your job. You're with Gold Digest. Obviously, this is one of the four majors of the year. It's one of the biggest things for you. In general, when you heard people, Twitter can be a, a difficult representation because, well, who are you following? Who, who are the people that are watching the tournament? But but overall, your field, the takeaway and people, is this going to be well-remembered? Is it just going to be one of those fluky ones? Is there an asterisk here? When we look back upon 2020 Masters, what will it be? Well, I, I don't think it has an asterisk, and I, and I, and I think part of that, is sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because the because of the the number one player in the world won, and you know if it had been a fluky winner and and there had been a bunch of rain delays and you know weird finishes on Monday, you know all those things that add to you know confusion. We didn't have confusion with the there was clearly the the best player over four days and he won convincingly and and I think that the takeaway I, ta- I talked to Claude Harmon who is who is uh, DJ's coach this morning for a story I'm running for golfdigest.com and, and he really put it well. And he said that at the end of the event, what a lot of players felt was gratitude that the season could be completed. And there were a lot of people that were involved with that. You know, the tour did a great job in keeping everybody healthy. And, and then, you know, the USGA managed to run the U S open and the PGA championship, the PGA folks managed to run that tournament. And I think of all the sports golf seemed to manage that better than, most everything from actually keeping the players safe to the the war of perception about you know what what's actually going on out in the world so i I think to get the amount of season that we got done and to have as much golf as we were able to watch that was a i think that was the that was a triumph in addition to the triumph on the golf course sunday so Dustin Johnson with the victory, Justin Thomas, he was right there. Rory made a big comeback after a rough Thursday and put together a nice tournament. Kepka, Rom, a lot of the names that we know. Two guys we don't know, at least general public, a whole lot about. Cameron Smith, the young Aussie, and then uh, Sungjam Im from South Korea. These guys, sustainability of these names we're going to be hearing about more going forward. Your thoughts on those two? Boy, it was really fun to watch those two guys too, because of the the, the different approach they have. Sung Jae was so straight. Every every tee shot he hit was you could almost go out and just place it, you know, where you wanted it to be. But then Cameron Smith had one of the great scrambling rounds, you know, in in history. When you think of what was at stake, I mean, this is a, a younger guy who doesn't have a lot of experience at the Masters, and he shot four rounds in the sixties, and he did it, you know, basically getting up and down from everywhere. And uh, so so. I think about those two guys, the same kinds of things that I think about a lot of the young players that you see. And, and it's refreshing to see that, you know, use Matt Wolf as an example or Victor Hovland as an example. There's so many young players and you can, you know, Colin Morikawa winning a major this year as a, basically a rookie. What you see are, are there so many players doing it different ways, you know, different swings, different body shapes. There's, there's a little bit more freedom in the game. To, to have a have a different approach. It's not like all the players are just punched out of the same the same mold. And I think that makes for great entertainment value as a fan because you can you can recognize the players and you and you see their idiosyncrasies and they play different styles of game. And I just think that makes the sport more fun to watch. So this story for Tiger, what happened on the back nine yesterday, and <laughs> it was riveting. And in fact, that was the time I think I watched the most of the Masters. Is I see on Twitter. Oh, it's going up. He's falling apart. What was that on twelve thirteen? And then what he did afterwards, and that's what I got into it. I saw him finish out the hole, and then birding five of the last six holes. It, 
I think it's a lesson for young golfers out there, and for it to happen to Tiger, and for him to come back in that fashion, just yet another chapter, maybe not a chapter, maybe it's just a page of the biography when we look upon him, but but it's something there, and that was a lot of fun to see him put it back together here for the final six holes. Oh, for sure, that was really cool. It was almost like there's a psychic ledger. You know, last year at the Masters when Tiger had his had his win, mm-hmm. he was the one who was able to read the win on 12, yeah. not hit it in the water, and Brooks Kepka was right there with him, and Brooks hit it in the water to lose the tournament, basically. It's almost like Tiger gave that one back this year to, to even the ledger. In fact, he hit three in the water and made a 10. But, but the idea that you could make a 10 on Sunday and know that that's going to do it for your chances to be you know, to, to win and yet still have the starch to go out and finish it out like he did. You're right. I mean, that's, it's inspiring when anybody does it, but when it's the, the greatest player arguably of all time who doesn't have anything left to prove to anybody and he still does it, that's a, that's a cool thing for sure. Tiger going forward, when we're talking about the Masters, fingers crossed in April this year and we'll get back to a normal schedule for 2021. But do we always have to have the conversation? Because he came in, his form wasn't very good. A lot of people, myself included, didn't think he was going to make the cut because I bet against him making the cut. But it shows you his knowledge of this course, even if he is not at his physical peak, this course, the way he plays and his knowledge is going to keep him around and keep him relevant in the conversation for the foreseeable future. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. And if you need proof, you know, Bernard Langer is 63 years old and he made the cut. And it's because of that factor that you just said, which is comfort and, you know, your, your comfort level with the place, the course suits your eye. You know, the, you know, you, and, that, and that's one of the big things about coming to the same course year after year. It's the one major that does that, where it builds in a little bit of that, of that uh, familiarity. And, and what's so interesting, too, is the unfortunate part about COVID, among, among millions of other things, is that when it took away the patrons and it took away you know, the, the, the ropes where they usually are and people, you know, th- th- that part kind of takes away the built-in advantage some of those players who won it before have because it was a different sounding place and a different looking place, different time of year. And, and it really did set up well for someone like Dustin Johnson who'd been trying to win that second major. A couple of those young guys that we were just talking about, it made it kind of that one-off Masters like we were discussing. And then we're going to get back, hopefully, in April to what, the Masters traditionally is, and and you know what? Maybe it wasn't so bad just to get one year of taste of a, of kind of a bizarro Masters. Matt, we'll let you go on this. Matt Rudy from Golf Digest, Crystal Ball twenty twenty one. I still know lots of talks out there. The normal kind of goofy season that we'd be getting ready for and going through at this point, it's going to be incredibly limited. But when you look at twenty twenty one, and not even that that West Coast swing, and when we get things started in January February, but lead up into the Masters. Back to as close to normal as possible. What do you see? I think golf did a great job keeping people safe, and 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 if we as a country can get things under control, you know, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. I, I hope to be able to see more of what we saw now with the added bonus of some players like Brooks Kepka who who were hurt, you know, in 2020 back at full speed too. But to think that you could have peak. Dustin Johnson and Tiger Woods feeling good physically and Brooks Koepka feeling good and Rory trying to win the Grand Slam again. There's a lot to look forward to. I, I just hope that the, the, all the uh, outside stuff uh, can, uh, can, can play along for us to have that happen. Thank you, Matt. You bet. 
Matt Rudy, Golf Digest. Find him on Twitter at Rudy Writer. Lots of great stuff there. That will do it for our number one. We still got one more to go. Matt Rudy, Michigan State grad, didn't even bring up Sparty in the shutout loss over the weekend, Indian. Didn't even need to. I'm sure he's got a smile on his face what's happening with the Wolverines. Oof. We'll get into that and a whole lot more. Bama Bob kicks off our number two college football talk with Bama. We'll talk Cyclones as they get ready for K-State. We'll do that with Dave Sproul at the bottom of the hour. And Mr. Monday Night, he's got a pick for you, along with some props. Stick around. Another hour to go. It's Miller and